Let's all pray. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit, ever three and ever one. Our God, your word is our true sustenance. Open our eyes and our hearts to receive what your word says to the church. Lord, give us minds to understand, ears to hear, and wills to do your will. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. One of the most beautiful spots in Huntsville is when you're going up the hill on Airport Road and then going down Carl T. Jones, and you see all of Jones Valley. It's really one of the most beautiful sceneries in town, especially in this time of the year. That's the area which I grew up. I spent the majority of my childhood and through my teenage years in Jones Valley. I went to Jones Valley Elementary School, Whitesburg Middle, and, and Grissom High School. And it was, a, it was a great place to live. Even though this view, this part of town is so beautiful, it has a, a deep, deep, dark stain in my memory. I, and I really, I can't unsee it. It brings back bad memories. Memories that still affect me to this day. From second grade through fifth grade, I was at Jones Valley Elementary School, and I was the fat kid in class. Uh, every day was unmercifully made fun of, called all types of bad names. Boys made fun of me, and more embarrassingly, girls made fun of me. I had no friends, and I mean no friends. I would come home from school and play it all by myself, and then I would go back to school the next day and get made fun of again and again. Now, I wasn't bullied physically. I was the bigger kid in class, but uh, verbally bullied. So I don't think very fondly of my uh, elementary school years. I still remember the names called. I still hear the, the voices uh, today. So when I go down that hill and I see that, that area or go down Garth Road and see my old elementary school, those memories are still there. It's a beautiful place, but the memories there aren't so beautiful. And bad memories are hard to erase. The term slave in an American's ear brings back bad, bad memories, and rightly so. Our history is tainted by the stain of institutionalized, race-driven, and abusive slavery. The definitions of slavery used at this time and the descriptions of it were exceedingly wicked and unbiblical. The owning of another human as if he is an animal or a tool is awful. The selling and trading of human beings as if they are goods in a market is atrocious. And the descriptions of Af African slaves is less than human, and the defense of this kind of slavery by using the Bible was blasphemous. However, the concepts of slave or servant and master are not bad concepts. They are good. For we are called slaves of Christ, and Christ is called our Lord, which means master. 
He has also called us to be slaves of all as his followers. So that even though the, our memories of the abuses of a concept are hard to purge our minds of, it doesn't mean the concept is evil in and of itself. Just because something has been abused doesn't mean the thing is evil. Just because someone has been under a, a tyrannical government doesn't mean all government is indeed bad. Our servanthood to Christ and to humanity is a good, beautiful thing. Even though servitude and mastery has a deep and evil stain due to evil men. We as believers are called to be slaves, and some translations say bond servants, which is rather a good translation. But how? How are we to be servants to our authorities, whatever they are? What if these authorities or superiors aren't even Christian? What if they are Christian? How are bond servants at this time supposed to live under bondage? Well, these questions are answered in the text we will look at this morning as we continue through 1 Timothy in chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. In this text, we will see that as Christians, we honor and serve those above us for the sake of the name of our God, who is our highest master, and even more so for those who are our siblings in Christ. And then we will see how we, though not living in an institutionalized slavery context, can put these things into practice in our everyday spheres of life. But first, believers should honor and serve those above them for the sake of the Lord's name. Look at verses, verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So after Paul has just instructed Timothy on how to handle various age groups and categories of people in the church, he finishes by giving instruction to servants. And these would, be, would have been household servants at the time. Now again, when we hear as Americans the term slave, we automatically think of our dark history of African-American slavery. Again, we as Americans can't unthink that. And because of that, it's hard for us to read passages in Scripture concerning slavery. We place our American history thinking on other contexts. However, first century Mediterranean slavery was not the same as what we know it today from our history. First century slavery in this context was not race-related. You had all sorts of ethnicities, ethnicities serving as slaves. People could get in and out of slavery relatively easily. Often people volunteered themselves into slavery to clear debts or to gain social and academic, uh, economic security. Their work was often as musicians, uh, artisans, educators, medical advisors, and companions to the elderly. Slaves were also a third of the Roman population, 33% of the population. So all that to say, it was quite different than the colonial slavery which we understand. And that's not to say that all slave contexts at the time were good, but as a general practice, it was quite different than our modern understanding. Also, it is important to note the concepts of master and servant are good. 
Just because something has been used for evil doesn't mean its essence is evil. Isn't that the case with all sin and evil? Sin is a diversion from what is good. Sin has no nature in and of itself. It is unnatural. It's taking what is natural and twisting it, making it unnatural. For example, sex, food and drink, art, music, etc. Good things, but as we know, they can be twisted into perverse things. So sin is taking good things and perverting them. And one of these good things is authority and servanthood. Jesus is called our master. That's what Lord means. And we are called his servants or slaves. And God has ordained all authority, whether it's governmental, organizational, family, etc. Authority is a good thing. Hierarchy is a good thing. There is evil authority, yes, but authority in and of itself is a good thing. And we are called to be servants. Jesus called himself a servant. And those who are highest in the kingdom are to be servants of all. We are commanded to submit, our, to submit to our authorities. And so another question may pop up is, why does Paul not call for the abolition of slavery here? And, and why does the Bible in general not condemn slavery? Well, it's evident Scripture does condemn what was going on in, in America a couple of year, a hundred years ago. Also, you have admonitions in the New Testament that if slaves can gain their freedom, then they should do it. And also, if you read Paul's letter to Philemon, he commands Philemon to receive Onesimus, the slave, no longer as a slave, but as a brother. So even in the New Testament, there is a call for a slow eroding of the institutional practice. But we must remember, too, changes in social structures were not the top priority of apostolic churches. It was the expansion of the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel. For you remember, Paul essentially volunteered to be imprisoned and sent to Rome, although he had done absolutely nothing illegal so that the gospel would advance. He voluntarily suffered injustice for the sake of the gospel. The gospel advancement to Rome was more important than his justice. And he could have been freed. If you read of Acts, he could have been freed. But he chose to appeal to Caesar, thus staying in prison. And lastly, Christians at the time were a tiny minority that wasn't even recognized by the government. They had no sway to change social structures. So when we think about the abolitionist movement in England, they had a Christianized, if you will, society. Not that everybody was a born-again Christian, but Christianity was a part of the majority culture. So they had sway to change social structures. And it's interesting that there's so much focus on Christians in the 19th century who were uh, defending the institution of the American slave trade in practice. So much attention drawn to that. However, it was also Christians who were calling for its abolition. But our brothers and sisters in Christ from the first century who were called followers of the way and, and in the pagan city of Ephesus had no social strong arm or sway. They had to work within the structures that they had. And you know what? The gospel spread incredibly. It advanced incredibly. So all that to say, that gives us a context of what Paul, of, to Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus. 
Look at verse 1 again. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. A yoke is what you would put around the, the, the necks of cattle or mules to, to push the plow. This shows that those who were serving as bondservants were in a humble position. They were under a yoke. They were not high up socially. They were in manual hard labor. And this is important to remember when we get to verse 2. So remember that statement. But all of them were to give all honor to their masters. And whatever they did, they were to work diligently without complaining. They were to have a cheerful attitude in all this. They were to speak highly of their masters. This was how they were to honor them. But why? Why are they to do this for many masters who were pagans? How would we honor pagan masters? The so that, and you notice how many so that's there are in this letter? The so that answers the question. So that the name of God and the teaching, i.e. the apostolic gospel, would not be literally blasphemed. So that your masters will see the church, chief servant in you. So that they will see Christ in you. So that they will smell the aroma of Christ in you. This is part of your witness to the true God and his Christ. So that he cannot blaspheme God because of you. So that he sees no hypocrisy in you. So that he doesn't see the gospel you say you believe is a sham. So that he is left speechless when the gospel's work in your life is clearly evident. So this sentence, as we can tell, speaks to Christian servants that are under unbelieving supervisors. And so the closest analogy that we'd have to present day is employee-employer relations. Now, how can a Christian honor a pagan supervisor, in this case, a master? Well, the supervisor, he or she, is an image-bearer of God. And that alone is worthy of honor. Secondly, his or her authority is ordained of God. It's his will that they are your authority. So you honor God because of that. And your incredible service to him is, or her is anti-cultural. It's different from the fallen human nature, the typical treatment in which they are accustomed to. It's totally anti-cultural. And it's a flashlight to the gospel message of which you proclaim. Now, I was not in the, the military personally, but my dad was military. So I grew up with the, the military cultural understanding. I understood the lingo. I knew the order in which things were done in the military. And many of you are military men and women. You know how the order is. You have superiors. You don't defy superiors, those of a higher rank than you, or you'll be charged with insubordination. You are taught, it is ingrained in you to honor authority. There's zero tolerance for anti-authority individuals. Now, those in the military get it. Our society, not so much. Now, I was an athlete. I was on football teams, and we, we had coaches. 
We knew we did not talk back to coaches. We did what they told us to do when they told us to do it. And if someone didn't, most likely their locker was cleared out by the end of the day. I saw this many, many times. Now, I know there are all sorts of abuses to authority. And sometimes authorities will command you to do things outside of scriptural commands or against conscience. So there is a time to disobey. But that's the, besides the point here. And we were talking about general principle here. You submit to and honor your superiors, whether that is a boss, coach, teacher, professor, etc. So not only will you gain their respect, but the ones around you will respect you. No one truly respects someone who is anti-authority. So they will respect you, and their respect serves as a flashlight to the gospel which you proclaim. So think about the authorities in your life. You may not be a slave or a bondservant like this context, but you are a servant in some way. Most of you have bosses. Many of them are not Christians. And not only not Christians, but they're jerks, they're pagans, they are foul-mouthed, etc. How do you handle them? Do we handle our boss the same way our lost co-workers handle their boss? They badmouth them behind their back. They are slack in their work. They sometimes talk back to them. Does this describe you, Christian? As those saved from our sin by Christ, how can we live like the rest of those around us? As those redeemed by Jesus, we can see our bosses and other authorities as bearers of God's image and as those that God has put above me in my job. We can see them as one who may potentially come to faith in Christ by my witness. And we should desire their salvation, and that right there makes us observe our behavior around them. Okay, well, that's how we are to live as servants to our lost superiors. That makes sense as a gospel witness to them. But we can, we can be slack when it comes to our Christian authorities, right? I mean, we can give, we, we give each other grace, right? Um, I'm not trying to win them over. They've already been won over. Not, not so fast. And that leads us to the second point, verse 2, that believers should honor and serve those above us who are of the household of Christ. Verse 2, those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. All human beings are made in the image of God. There is no human being ontologically better than anyone else. No one by nature is better or more important than anyone else. All are God's image bearers. And not only that, but for those in Christ, he levels the playing field even more so in that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We together are one in Christ. The distinctions of class and ethnicity are abolished in terms of access to God and his abundant riches in Christ. 
So that being said, we really don't have to serve diligently our Christian superiors, do we? I mean, he or she is now a sibling in Christ. I'm not trying to impress them anymore. We're equals right right now. I mean, we're, we're equals. Well, yeah, that, that is true. We are. However, the inspired scripture here in verse 2 tells us to serve our Christian superiors all the better. But why? 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 What's, what's my motivation to serve my Christian bosses here? Well, for the same reason that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want them to prosper. They are my beloved brothers and sisters. They benefit from my diligent service. They are encouraged by my honoring them with my speech and deed. Look again at the beginning of verse 2. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Well, why can't I be disrespectful? We believe in grace, don't we? Well, think about Romans 6 for a moment. Romans 6, 15 through 18 says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Paul, using this slave theme in, in the letter to the Romans, explains that now as those freed from the slavery of sin, we are now slaves to righteousness. We don't abuse the grace of Christ. Ergo, we don't abuse the grace of our Christian brothers and sisters. And not only that, we, we bless their stewardship. Look again at verse, the second half of verse 2. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Paul ironically explains here that the slaves are the benefactors of this relationship. You say, okay, so what's the significance of that? Well, the, a benefactor is the giver of the resources or goods to the one in need. Think about that for a second. Now go back to verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Slaves are a lower class than masters. The upper class in this historical and cultural context is always the benefactor. The lower class works for and honors the upper class, and the upper class in turn always gives the resources to the lower. That's how they would understand social structure. And this is the same in many parts of the world, including the Middle East. But now Paul frames the slave as the benefactor, the, 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 the bondservant as the benefactor in this relationship. 
The Christian servant is the one supplying the Christian master with the goods and services, uh, goods and resources. He is the one bestowing the blessing. The tables have now been turned. Isn't that how the kingdom of God is? It's topsy-turvy. Jesus said the greatest of all is the slave of all. What? And not only that, but our master, Jesus, served us. He died for our sins. He rose that we may benefit from his resurrection and be raised too. We reap the benefits of his reward, not ours, his. We deserve wrath, but we, des- we receive blessing. And this message is mirrored in our lives. The world and other Christians, they see elements of the gospel in our lives as we imitate our Savior. Because the, the master of all, the master of all the universe became the slave of all. So is your superior or your boss or director or coach or teacher, whoever is an authority, are they a fellow believer? Well, think about them as you would any other church member. Whenever you hear of another member of the church has gotten a promotion, you celebrate, don't you? Whenever you hear about someone in your Sunday school class has a, an opportunity to do something remarkable, like they get to present before representatives in Washington for a project their group has been working on, for them to have this great privilege and honor, wouldn't you be excited and be praying for them as well? How much more so should we do this for our boss who is a fellow believer? How much more would you want to help them succeed and make sure that they are prospering in the organization? For they, they bear the name of Christ as well. Their success is your success too. So not only should we seek to honor and benefit unbelieving authorities, but also believing authorities. Now, these two short verses show us that believers must honor, must honor and serve those above us for the sake of the Lord's name and his gospel, and especially for those of the household of Christ. For we honor and serve our authorities in the name of Christ, and if we have believing authorities, we make sure that they prosper. You know, Although our history as a nation has a huge black eye from our memory of institutionalized slavery, servanthood as a Christian should not be seen in the same light. We are slaves of Christ, our master. And our relationship to him is to be reflected in our other relationships. We are servants of all. We see all as made in God's image. And we see all authorities as given by God. And we give great effort for the prosperity of Christian brothers and sisters, those who are our leaders. Now, now we know all these things. I mean, this is, this, this is simple. This is a, a pretty much a reminder. But it's a needed reminder for all of us. And we have to examine our behavior in all spheres of life, whether that's the workplace, the home, governments, and church, 
We serve all and give all honor to whom honor is due. Now, if you're here today and you're curious about Jesus and this word that is called the gospel, good news. Well, we're glad you're here today. Jesus Christ is why we are here today. For our God and creator is perfect and holy. All of us are imperfect, unholy, and sinful. Christ, God's son, the master of the universe, came into this world being fully God and fully man and perfect in every way, a servant of all. Yet he became sin for us and that he bore our punishment for us. He bore the punishment for our sin. And he did that on the cross, dying a humiliating death, experiencing hell for us. And he rose from the grave on the third day and went to heaven and will come back again and reign forever with his people. That is, those who have repented of their sin and trusted in Christ and him alone. So is that you? Have you trusted Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus? Call on him today. Today. Say, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I am not worthy to even talk to you right now, but Lord, I'm pleading your mercy, your mercy that is in Christ. You call upon him, he will save you. you're here and that's you talk to someone here today about what it means to follow jesus and we'll have pastors in the back at the end of the service that would be more than willing to talk to you about for what it means to follow christ christ jesus is our master servant he modeled it perfectly for us and if we have died with him we live in him and if we live in him we walk as he walked by grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God, our Father. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Master, we are your servants. And because of this, we are servants of all. Let us always give honor to all whom honor is due, for this is glorious in your sight. Lord, let us not let sinful man dictate definitions for us. Let's not let sinful man dictate how we are to live, but let us go by your word, for your word is truth, and your word is eternal. Almighty God, and we come to you this morning or, or admitting our unworthiness to partake of the holy meal we're going to take in just a few minutes. But we come through, only through, the blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we praise you for your mercy and your grace.